In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. The draft's finished, the dust has started to settle, and we're here to have a look at what the hell happened. Um, so we've already done the first two picks. Done Greg Newsom, we loved it. Done Joe K, we loved it. There's podcasts on them, guys. So if, if, if you want to listen to a bit of that, hit the pause button, jump over to them too, give them a listen, and then you can hit us off um, with this one here. Um, Ian, how are we doing, buddy? Well, two things. First, don't go back and listen to the day two preview because neither of us mentioned even the likelihood possibility of having JLK, specifically Jack, who said that. Um, and then second, where do you think they start construction on the Andrew Berry statue? Do you think that'll be where the draft site is now? Maybe we just put like a hall marker there or something along those lines. Because Jack, when you look around the division, did you see a team that had a better draft than the Browns? To be fair, I, I am the, the leader of the do not give Andrew Berry GM of the year campaign. Um, yeah, that's usually a kiss of death. It, it is that they all go mental. Um, so don't do it because if if we if he gets that, he's probably gonna get fired in two years' time, and uh, we we don't want that. I just I just want John Dorsey to start pranking Andrew Barry like he does Chris Ballard. I need that tradition to start up too. No, nah, quite frankly, I never want to hear from John Dorsey again. I'm, I'm by the way, just of... side note: Lions had a pretty damn good draft with uh Mr. with the with the full doors. So I'm credit in Dorsey. Listen, they got my guy, Chris Spielman, uh, now running some of the football stuff, and they got Dorsey. They got some smart guys. Look out. Them lines are coming, boys. They got, they got some talent coming from the draft. So. But enough. We're not an NFC North podcast. We're an AFC North podcast, specifically relating to the Cleveland Browns. Jack, we signed off the air. We talked about JOK. The Browns had one more pick, and you said you were going to cut a part of the podcast that you didn't end up cutting, where I predicted we were going to take wide receiver, and we ended up taking a wide receiver. That guy was Anthony Schwartz. I'm not sure. Do you want to call him maybe a track star or a wide receiver? What do you think is a better title for him? Well, he can run and he can't catch. So I definitely think track well, star. Somebody led Auburn in catches in his senior year or his junior year. Yeah, what was it? Five. five. Um, the quarterback was horrendous at Auburn. Um, well, the one before Jared Stidham when he was first there isn't bad. But no, just real quick on Anthony Schwartz. You're talking about a guy six foot. So we, we were all right there. We're still, we're still trending. It, it fell, but either way, six foot buck 86 um, age guardrail. He's 20 and a half right now. He'll be 21, like right at the time of the first NFL game. So this is a guy that's young. He's raw. Just a little bit of summary on him. Um, Dane Brugler says overall Schwartz needs to grow into more of a well-rounded, reliable receiver, but he has the rare natural speed and burst that no defensive back wants to face will likely get him overdrafted but he projects as a feast or famine NFL receiver with room to be more. Now, when we talk about rare speed, you're talking about a relay gold medal champion. I mean, if you've listened to any draft content, you know, this guy's a track star. He has track speed. The video of his 40, this guy has some of the, like when you watch people run, there's a lot of these things called wasted movement. So when you're running, it's your body kind of torquing back and forth. This guy you can just tell he's a strike. I mean, he does not waste motion. His shoulders are square. I mean, he looks like a sprinter. And when you start looking at some of these things where he ran a 10.07 in the hundred meter, 
I mean, that is insane, which enough about track, Jack, think about what that can do on the football field, because we talked about it often. The Browns needed to add an element that they don't have. There's not many teams in the NFL that have a four, two, five track star who maybe can play wide receiver, but realistically, we don't need him to catch that much. We just need him to make defense. Think he can Jack. What do you yeah, think? The, the obvious comp and don't hate it. This isn't a bad thing. It's John Ross. Um, he's a guy with incredible speed. Obviously, the advantage the Browns have got is we didn't take him in the ninth overall pick. We took him um, 91. You just, John Ross was nine. We were 9-1. So we just basically added an extra first to a nine, and now we have 91. Exactly. So, no, it's, it's a great pick because the question is, can, can he develop that side of the catching, everything else? And, and that's down to the coaching staff um, to develop and help him. Um, but you just can't teach that speed and speed is what you need. If you look at Kansas city, they just keep piling on the speed. Everyone's like a four, two dude. It's like anytime they can find someone that's really quick, they go, yeah, we'll just draft them. And um, because if you have a lot of speed, it opens up so much. And we had like a five minute chat pre pre show. It was all about, Hey, why is Travis Kelsey always open? Because Tyreek Hill's about 50 yards downfield because in like three seconds, um, because he just moves so quick. It's, it's, and- it's frustrating because like we're for all the people out there listening, when you watch a Kansas City game, how many times do you sit there and Mahomes completes a pass 15 yards over to Kelsey and you go, how in the hell is nobody guarding him? Like how? How is this Travis Kelsey, who is elite, is wide open in the middle of the field? And Jack, you're, you're 100% right. That's why. No, and it's one where if we start getting this space, Ian mentioned pre-show. It was the tight ends that are going to be the biggest benefit because that whole space in the middle. And if you go back and watch the game against um, the Chiefs, and if you listen to the podcast, you'd have heard us bang on about it. It was so frustrating that there was such a congested field in the middle that those guys that want to operate in there weren't able to... We had no yak. One of the biggest reasons Austin Hooper had no yak last year compared to loads of yak the year before. He hasn't forgotten how to play. It wasn't the Bakers doing a bad job. It was, there's just not the space. He had Calvin Ridley. He had Julio Jones. There was so much room for him to operate. And then we took it all away. And I think that's going to change because Schwartz, he doesn't even have to do much. Just the fact that he goes so quick, the corner has to follow him. A safety has to follow him. And that leaves someone else single covered. That could be OBJ. That could be David Njoku. That could be Hooper. That could be Chubb. Um, yeah. there is going to be people who is going to get a lot of space. And Baker is one of the best deep throwing quarterbacks in the NFL. He's actually now got someone who's going to get further than 12 yards downfield. Here's a lot. A lot of times, if you need an example of this, go back to 2019 when he had Brashad Perriman, right? So Perriman, I think it was Carolina game where we opened the game with a 60 yard bomb. So, you know, a lot of our listeners are international. So I'll, I'll explain a little bit about why speed matters. So, defenses there's this theory out there you'll hear it a lot where you have to defend every blade of the grass and basically what that means is you're going to draw lines at short intermediate and deep routes so if you're say running man man coverage which means that the cornerback is going to stay with the receiver well if i put odell on one side and i put schwartz on the other and maybe i stack uh Njoku or landry or hooper somebody near on that side to schwartz you're going to have to go single coverage with beckham on one side and if you're running a cover two the safety so you got to think about a cover two means the deep safeties one has 50 percent of the field one side one has 50 percent of the other field uh the other side of the field and that's why the way to beat cover two is up the middle 
So if I have Schwartz take off on a, a, so you obviously have a route tree. So this is a nine route. It's a vertical. So he takes off. If that DB cannot flip his hips and run, if he misses the jam on the line of scrimmage, meaning he doesn't get his hands on him, Schwartz is going to run clean. Now, if the safety sees that, he now has to shade over or else Baker is going to pitch and catch a 75-yard touchdown. And you'll see that in um, Auburn, this is what Schwartz did. Schwartz was responsible for six touchdowns. Um, I'm sorry, six offensive plays, five catches, one rush of 50-plus yards, including a 91-yard touchdown. He's a home run hitter. So now all of a sudden that safety now has to cheat over and cover a trailing defensive back because now what if he just runs a stop route? He's wide open. So your DB is trailing. The safety comes over to cover the deep ball. And now the middle of the field is wide open. So Travis Kelsey and David Njoku, these guys just sit in right where that safety is supposed to be and have easy pitches and catches. Now safe all of a sudden Beckham on one side is going deep. Schwartz is going on the other side. Now their 11 defenders is nine because those two safeties drop. Oh, let's just dump a screen pass off to Nick Chubb. I got safeties 30 yards down the field. Chubb's not even going to be touched for 10, 15 yards. Remember when Kareem Hunt was in Kansas City? He had these insanely long screen pass touchdowns. And everyone's like, why can't we do that? Well, because Miko Hardman and, Tra- and Tyreek Hill are so far down the field because you have to guard them that all the defenders have to run with them. They have to turn their backs and run. So that is the element that the Browns are trying to add. Schwartz doesn't even have to catch the ball. It has to be the sheer threat that he's going to be open because guess what? If you let him go, Baker can throw it and he can stand there and catch it like a punt. And you're talking about 50, 60 yards. So it's one of those elements that the Browns don't have. And now Beckham's fast at one side at four, three, and now you got four, two on the other. This is going to extend Jarvis Landry's career. This is going to make David Njoku look great. Hollywood Higgins, Kadero Hodge, Donovan Peoples-Jones. These weapons, that element that they added is going to be something we haven't seen since the Brashad Perriman days. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't a pick I'm enamored with until I saw the speed, and then I'm like, right, I get it now. Um, because he, he, it's almost a luxury pick for the Browns because they're not drafting him to come in and be a, hey, we, we need a wide receiver, one or two. And he could certainly develop into that. I'm not saying he's not going to be that but that could take it one or two years. And that's perfectly fine. They're not drafting him to go, we need him to be a wide receiver one next year um, or wide receiver two next year. It's it's not going to be, a, he can do the gadget play stuff. So don't get me wrong. We, we're going to see him do that. And who would you want? If you're going to do a sort of wide receiver running across a handoff to the wide receiver, do you want four, two speed or about like a 4.9 speed? It's uh, it's going to make a massive difference. And those little trick plays that Stefanski loves, they're going to be a thing of beauty. Uh, we saw it in the Kansas City game when they handed it off to the wide receiver who caught the edge and was, what, 40-something yards later? So we've seen it against us. But, yeah, that's the element they're adding. The nice part is, is you do have Chad O'Shea, you have Alex Van Pelt. This guy now comes in, and your sole job, your year one, is to do one thing. And while you're at it, we need to teach you how to run other routes because one thing that makes Tyreek Hill separate from the rest is he can obviously run four two four three speed but oh by the way he has an assortment of routes he can run so now you're defending the deep post and he runs a comeback or he runs a, you know a post in or he runs you know an out route and you're like you can't guard that i mean you guy goes from four three and he's stopping on a dime to sit in the sidelines i mean come on now that's not even fair but that was you know we ended up trading that 89 pick so that was our 91 pick we took 89 we pushed it back which we talked about um into the fourth round. So now we're, we've talked a little bit about Schwartz. We move on. So we, in the fourth round, we started off the day. We took James Hudson, the offensive tackle out of Cincinnati. 
Jack, what was your initial take on Hudson? Uh, meh. It was very meh pick. I, I, th- there was nothing I'm loving about that pick. Um, it's okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't high-fiving if I'd have been in a draft room. It would have been like, yeah, I, I, I get it. Um, and at the end of the day, if Callahan's banging the table and going, that's the guy I need, I've got, I've got no reason to doubt him. Um, but as well, with some of these people, just because someone's a phenomenal coach doesn't make them a great talent evaluator. Bill Belichick doesn't seem to be good at drafting. Um, Kyle Shanahan, you look at the, some of the players the 49ers picked up, eh, it's questionable. Um, look at the running backs they've banged the table for. They haven't been the good ones that they've gone out and spent a load of money on. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. We obviously spent all offseason saying, hey, they need an offensive tackle because you've got Chris Hubbard getting paid $3.75 million in cash next year. Um, that's not really, if you don't want to pay 12 million for your starting defensive tackle, why would you want to pay um, a third of that to your backup OT? So I, I think it opens up a lot of options. Um, less hoping become a tackle. Um, yeah. The thing with Hudson, so obviously a local kid um, coming out of Cincinnati, actually went to high school at uh, Toledo Central Catholic. So this guy has you know, been in Ohio most of his life. Six four. Uh, six, four, almost six, five, six, four, uh, and three quarters, 313 pounds. He look how young he is though, Jack, he was on draft day. He's only, he's under 22. And this is a guy who started his career as a defensive lineman at Michigan, who then moved to right tackle. Cause they saw some traits for him sits out. Most of 2019 was only able to play in one game in his first full season. Now, obviously the coaching staff down in Cincinnati, I'm partial to because I like Luke Fickle and those guys. So those guys saw something in him and said, hey, we're going to turn you into a tackle. And in his first season at tackle, he doesn't allow a sack. Plays 11 games. And by the way, he played against Aziz Ozolari. He played against Georgia. Did not allow a sack. Um, so this is a guy I think is just raw to the position. I think when we talk about Bill Callahan looking at it and saying, if they were able to get him that far in one season, imagine what I can do to him once he's in. I don't, I really don't want to see him on the field next year. If we are, we're in some trouble. Like I actually would say that Kendall lamb leaving gives you more of an on-field contribution, but a little bit about Hudson uh, from Brugler Hudson requires continued technical refinement to match up in the NFL, but his light feet, strong hands and natural balance are an intriguing starter pack at left tackle. He would fit best in a zone scheme where he can develop into an above average starter. And I think that's what they saw. They liked the traits. It's the fourth round, take a flyer on him. And this is a guy I'm thinking they might want to get to the practice squad. If he has to stay on the roster, you know, we have that battle for that third. He's um, 100% making the roster. 100%. I wouldn't say 100%. Nothing in life's 100%, Jack. Other than me being right and you being wrong. If if they waive him, he's getting claimed by someone else. Guaranteed that you're not getting the the idea, and lots of Browns fans are talking about it. Oh, this player, this player, oh, we can stash them on the practice squad. We, it, it, you, your practice squad isn't like guaranteed like you're 53. These players have to clear the entire set of waivers, and then then they get signed back. Yeah, and, and then, then if somebody signs them off your practice squad, they have to go to their starting 53. Yeah. The thing is, is if this guy falls in the fourth round, he was projected to be a borderline day two, day three pick, right? So these were teams saying, hey, they passed on him enough times where, A, there's not that many teams running zone schemes. So you're talking San Francisco, you're talking Minnesota, you're only talking about a few teams. So if you look at their positions, the the Browns are obviously going to be a lot smarter about it than I. And if they feel that he's not going to make it through, then he's going to have 
to sit on the roster. But this could be one of those ones where, oh, man, that hip or that knee or something, and they get it through that way. Um, I just I don't know how much of a contribution. And we talked about this. Those day three picks, you're coming in fighting for roster spots. None of these guys, I think, are day one contributors. And the fact that they got JOK in at day two is impressive. And I think, like I said, Schwartz is a guy 10 to 15 snaps a game where you're probably talking about him having a role. But Hudson, I think this guy is a giant block of clay. And the more time he can get in a Bill Callahan uh, education center, as we'll call it, I think you're talking about somebody that could possibly be right tackle. They were talking. By the way, I, I cannot hear the word versatility anymore. The number of media people and times they mentioned the word versatility in this draft. Yes, he's, he can play possibly inside, play outside. They're looking for athletic guys in zone schemes. Where he ends up, nobody knows. Yeah, so they, they said he was going to cross-train as a guard. Um, he lacked a re- good relative athletic score, so a 3.85 at tackle, but a five, just above a five, I believe, at guard. So he could be used there. Um, I, I just think the reason, I don't think they'd have used a pick that high on him if they didn't feel really, really good that he makes the roster, because obviously they know all about Alex Taylor. They know about Greg Sonat. Um, they obviously know about Chris Hubbard. So they've looked at them and gone, he's going to get at least OT3 or OT4. And there's there's no reason why they couldn't say, hey, you're going to be OT4. And, and that is, it's almost like a fake practice squad spot where you never expect anything out of your OT4. We, we didn't see anything from Alex Taylor last year. He just sat there on the squad, uh, on the um, back of the roster. So, you can easily stash a player on a roster because you're going to have nine offensive linemen, four tackles on there. So yeah, th- there's plenty of ways to keep him on the roster without any danger of him playing. Um, because even when we needed to tackle, we didn't let Alex Taylor play. They just liked him and they brought in someone else to then elevate. So um, no, he easily makes the roster for me. It, it, it's one of those things where you're, we're also making the assumption there's no injuries, right? You know, obviously we're counting on the fact that uh, Jedrick and uh, Jack Conklin will be there. Um, but ultimately having Chris Hubbard, a guy who came into the league, got a big contract. I almost think that he's the perfect guy for Hudson to learn from, because this is a guy that could step in, be a PFF top guard. This is a guy that steps out and tackle and in a good scheme was able to be successful. So I like the fact of giving hub or giving Hudson, somebody like Hubbard to look up to and say, Hey man, how did you do this? Like, I think from a work, it makes sense to me. Um, but the one guy we'll move on to the next one. I know you didn't really like this pick either. No, th- this, um, this was the one I like on day three. This was my favorite. This was the only pick I, I actually liked on day three. Really? Tell me about it. What was about Tony Fields that you liked? No, it's Tom, Tom, to, Tommy Togiai. Oh, Togiai. Oh, sorry. I, I jumped over one. Yes. Okay. So, Tom, what did you like about Tommy? Uh, Tommy's a day two pick. <laughs> Straight up. Day two pick, defensive tackle, produced. Um, that, that, what's not to like? This is a guy that we sat there and said, hey, we can pick him at 80, um, 89, 91. Um, and I had no surprise if, if, if we'd have gone him, him there, I'd have been happy. The fact that we sat here at one, three, two, and we're picking dudes that should have been off the board 30 pick, 40 picks earlier. You're it, good it, with that? It's awesome. Um, so Togi, if you ever want to see how much of an impact he had, go watch the national championship game against Alabama that Ohio state played and go watch the Clemson game. So Tommy was out for a COVID thing for the national championship game and just watch what the offense or the offensive line was able to do to the Buckeye D line without Tommy. So Togia, you're talking about a guy, six, one and a half, two ninety six. Now again, 21, 
21.6. We're starting to get more and more solid base in terms of that. So this is a guy that will be 22 at the time of the first game. Uh, four and a half tackles for loss his senior year, three sacks, uh, one forced fumble, and two passes defense. So you're talking about a guy that can get his hands up. Summary on him, uh, he takes the hard work always beats talent mantra to heart, never taking plays off and competing with relentless effort. Overall, he needs to develop his handwork and timing as a pass rusher, but he boasts developed power, physical hands, and budding instincts. He projects as a stout run defender with pass rush upside. And this was a guy, like I said, 40 reps on the bench. So if he can convert that to actual power, you're getting, you're getting nice and strong and stout in the middle, which is what you need when you got, you know, guys on the edge, like miles Garrett and stuff like that. You can't get gashed up the middle. Cause you got to make them hold onto the ball just a step longer. So miles and Jadavion and tack get that ball out of their hands. Yeah. And he brings me a nice 8.6 relative athletic score, which, you know, I'm a fan of. Um, so no, the dude's athletic is another three tech though. Um, and that's just the really interesting part that we're sat here with, Hey, uh, we're loaded at three tech. You've got Jackson, you've got Elliot, you've got, uh, Togiai, you've got Billings at one tech. Obviously we'll touch on a little bit more later. Um, when we get, he to played our- one tech at Ohio state. Yeah. But he's, he's, they're projecting him to be a three tech in the league. Yeah. So if you listen to Dan Sagany uh, talk about it, so Togi, I lined up primarily over the a gap in college. So they're basically saying, we just want to off, put him on a shoulder of a guard and they want him to get upfield. Right. So penetration is really what they're asking. Um, I think a guy like Malik Jackson, very similar. If we're looking for like comp size and explosiveness, Togi, I needs to get Malik Jackson and say, Hey man, teach me everything, you know, because I think they could be very similar in terms of their play style. So next up, we've got a guy Mr. Fields, the second yeah. Fields to get drafted in the draft. Um, Tony Fields out of West Virginia. And this is an interesting one because if you listen to a chat called Benjamin Solak from the Draft Network, um, I've retweeted it. It's well worth going and watching his video. He's really, really high on him. Um, and he said straight after when JOK got drafted, praised the Browns and said, well, if, if you want the cheap version of JOK, he's coming on day three and his name is Tony Fields. Um, so I'm not enamored with the pick in any way, but we then start getting an interesting one because there's been the whole debate over what they do with JOK. Is he sort of that will linebacker slash strong safety where they'll play a bit of both? Um, and, and it could be the case where the Browns actually go, if we're only going to play two safeties, we want Delpit and John Johnson out there. And Ronnie Harrison just becomes a, a, a nickel safety rather than when you're in, um, base and they could go actually JOK is that guy that we want to do that with um, moving forward and then so let's draft JOK's backup in Tony Fields so it's going to be really really interesting of what they do with him but yeah it's definitely worth going and watching um, that video clip with Benjamin Sulek because he is a massive massive fan of Tony Fields who Unfortunately, not the most athletic, uh, not the most athletic guy out there. If we take a linebacker numbers, we've got a 4.92 relative athletic score. Um, the weird thing is he's got the size of a safety, but the athletic profile of a linebacker. So it's why his numbers aren't great. So if you if you take his linebacker numbers and turn it into a strong safety, his size profile fits the safety, but his athletic profile fits the linebacker. Yeah, it's one of those things. So Fields is six foot, uh, two twenty-two. So when we were looking at linebackers, he was just outside. He was too small in terms of what we were looking for linebackers. Again, twenty-one point eight six. So he's a younger guy. This guy started his first three years at Arizona, 
um, before moving over to West Virginia after he was a graduate transfer. Um, but what's odd is when you think about athleticism, one of the things that they talk about here, so he played middle linebacker in a three, three, five, which is a little bit different of a scheme. So he's kind of familiar with kind of what the, uh, what a dime defense would look like, but um, summary on him fields can easily too easily engulfed when he is in a step ahead of the play, but he is an instinctive player with above average play speed to be a rangy run and hit weak side linebacker in the NFL. So they've already projected him as kind of that, hybrid maybe type of thing but let's be honest this guy's only making the team on special teams in year one um coming in at pick what was it 160 169 i think what it was um this is a guy that's gonna have to cut his teeth there but yeah he's in that same jok mold where you know who knows what the bronze i mean joe woods is just getting all these pieces and i think prefer's probably the most happy about this one and then this is something where down the road you look to see if he can turn in anything but he's a little undersized i'd be curious to getting him into a strength program to see if they can maybe boost up a little bit and fine-tune some of that athleticism yeah he's played nearly three thousand snaps in his college career so incredible amount of experience so basically the same as trey lance <laughs> trey lance that. played like 300 <laughs> um, that's why ever he only played 300 snaps everyone's like so you took him number three overall but uh yeah, the interesting thing to note this um and we'll probably do a show looking at camp battles i know i've tweeted some stuff out there is what it means for the linebacker room so um it, it's just going to be interesting of what they do with it because we spent some time pre-shot a uh, pre-draft pre-free agency chatting about hey they're probably going to go with five linebackers on the roster They've now got seven who have realistically got a shot. No offense to Elijah Lee and the other guys. I'm not counting them in that mix, but I mean, they have a shot on specials. That's their only shot. But are they going to make specials over some other guys? I can't see it. Um, so if you look at those main seven, you've got Anthony Walker, you've got Phillips, you've got Joe K, you've got. Um, Fields, you've got Malcolm Smith, got Tacky Tacky, and the final name is then Mac Wilson. Mac Wilson, you'd, your days are probably done here, but that's then six, and six is higher than I thought they would go. Um, but it's certainly going to be interesting if if, they, if they're going with this new look Will linebacker, and then you're potentially looking at JOK backed up by Fields there. Well, where does Malcolm Smith fit? Because the new wave linebacker that they want isn't really Malcolm Smith. So it's certainly going to be interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think, listen, at the end of the day, we know we need better out of the linebacker core. So iron's going to have to sharpen iron there. And at the end of the day, I want the best five, maybe possibly six, depending on what the numbers are. I want the best. And if that means that, you know, Malcolm Smith or Mac Wilson, or whoever isn't on the team, then that's so be it. You know, we're past the point as fans where we develop emotional connections because they love us. We need them to love winning. And to be winners, you have to take the best players. And that's just what it comes down to. So that was a great gif tweeted out by, I'm guessing you've seen uh, The Dark Knight, the Batman. Film. Yes. So there, there, there was a great tw- uh, gif by um, Hawaii Browns. Um, oh, his name's escaped, um, Mike Krupka. Um, and he just tweeted out, the second half of uh, the bottom half of the Browns roster come training camp. And it's just that part where the Joker snaps the pool cue in half and throws it to the two um, grunts of saying, Hey, we've got an opening battle to the death. And it is basically going to be a battle to the death. There's like 37 locks on this roster and there was 16 spots where it was open war. And it's not like the old days where we're chatting about there's not, there's not 16 players that are good enough to be on an NFL roster. It's like, which 
player that's not capable is going to be battling for it. There is like, <laughs> we're talking, there's a good 40 guys that are capable of being on an NFL roster. Which one of them is going to win it? And it's not a case of, hey, these other dudes are going to practice squad. These other dudes are going to legitimate teams. And some of them will probably start this season. Um, some of the guys at the Browns go, we're not going to make the 53. They might not start at the start of the season, but they are going to go to teams and they are going to play meaningful snaps this season. And that is an incredible position to be in. You could argue this is the deepest NFL roster out of the entire league. I'm just happy that Andrew Barry and two drafts was able to make people forget about Jannard Avery that fast. I mean, it's just, that's an accomplishment in its own. So, all right, well, we got two picks. Well, let's wrap up here. Um, I'm, I'm a little sour on this guy before um, he had the choice to come to Ohio state and chose to go to Georgia. And that is Richard LeCount. He is a safety out of Georgia, 5'10", a buck 96. Um, he's the oldest player, if I'm not mistaken, in this draft class coming in. He'll be 23 in his, uh, his, would be his first NFL game if he makes the roster on um, 22 and a half at draft time. So this is a guy. Oh, no, I lied. Sorry. The next guy is a little bit older by about two months. But anyways, um, LeCount, interesting guy, very highly recruited out of Georgia. Um, he was a number three recruit in the state of Georgia. Comes in, leads a team in tackles, interceptions, just produces on a good Georgia defense, but had a little bit of kind of a drop off his senior year um, had some injuries that were non-football related to cut his season a little short. So I think, I don't know if his, his testing numbers were got awful. So, bike, so there was a bike accident that led to the poor testing numbers. Personally, I just don't think he should have tested, um, but the athleticism on the, um, the NGS data that teams have got and the, the, the interesting thing is going to be, and it's going to be a shame moving forward that lots of the team's data isn't actually going to come from combine. The Rams have completely ignored the forties times this season. They're using not using GPS them at data. all. They're using GPS data because you, you don't want to know how far someone can run when they're in uh like their underwear. Shorts and underwear running in the yeah. Indianapolis on it, downhill lies with wind aided. It's, it's how quick they can run when they're in a game and they've got all the pads and stuff on. So um, no, that's going to be the interesting thing that teams are going to use moving forward. And, and the unfortunate fact of that is it makes it less transparent to fans and stuff going on outside. But his athleticism is much better than what he tested. Um, but no, the, the, the interesting thing, the more I was reading about this is he's got the, he's probably a player that's good at every aspect of what you can do at safety and the different spots you can play in that strong deep too deep um the issue is he's not great at any of it um so he, in terms of a depth piece it's probably a really useful thing to have he, he's not got a great route to ever being a starter but quite frankly when you pick to pick one six um nine if if you can just be an option that hangs around and does different bits and pieces and I'm, I'm happy with that for four years um, that if he can develop into a backup that it's just okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. So we definitely needed safety because we've got three awesome safeties and then we've got nothing else. Um, and sorry, Sheldrick Redwine fans, he's in that nothing else. Yeah. And we're talking about, so LeCount, um, this is a guy who was well-liked in the Georgia locker room, was known as pretty much a leader there, plays with outstanding pursuit range and decisiveness, competing with the fearless mentality required. However, there's a fine line between aggressive and undisciplined, and he spends times on both sides, leading to feast or famine plays. Overall, he competes with outstanding play speed and energy, but you will have to live with the inconsistencies. And that's why you're in the sixth round. 
So this is a guy I think comes in, needs to make his mark on special teams because, you know, we're talking about sequencing and we're talking about contracts and staggering. What can they do down the road? This is a guy that's going to have to come in and make a spot producing on special teams and producing quick. On this, I'm just going to touch on a free agent. Um, There's one of two dudes I think they'll sign. I don't think they'll get both of them, but I think one of these two dudes has got a really good shot of coming in. You've got cornerback Gary and Conley. It won't be Steve Nelson now because they've invested so heavily in Greg Newsom that I don't think they'll go out and spend that on um, Nelson, but I think Gary and Conley is certainly in play here. Um, and I think the other one to keep an eye on is not Malik Hooker because Malik Hooker will want to go to a team where he can play. Um, and unfortunately, that's not the Browns. And why as a free agent would you want to come on a prove-it deal to be the behind John Johnson and Grand Delpit? It's, it's madness. But it's actually Trey Boston. I, I could certainly see them giving Trey Boston money because um, he can come to a team that's going to win. And uh, why not? Um, if, you, if you're going to – everyone knows what Trey Boston is in the league – um, he can definitely give them the option at, at free. So I, I, I would keep an eye on those two names. Um, I would certainly love to see Trey Boston finally in a Browns uniform. Yeah, it's one of those ones where the Browns are going to continue to add talent. And at the end of the day, they got to make it better. So they're going to keep improving the roster at every chance they get. Um, this last pick that they made, he's an interesting one. I, I, I won't say I knew a lot about him going in. And that's Demetric Felton. So this guy was actually listed as a wide receiver. And now he's going to change the running back. But we're talking about a guy that's 5'8", 189 pounds. So we're talking about that scat back. Oldest guy in the class, uh, time of draft, you're talking about 22.79. So he'll be a little over 23 at the time that he uh, first would step on an NFL field. Five-year player at UCLA, redshirted his freshman year. Um, this is a guy who has done kick returns. He's done running backs. I mean, this guy, basically, whatever they could do to get the ball in his hands, that that's what they're going to go. So his senior year, he was second team, all pack 12 led team in rushing pack 12 in all purpose yards at 165.8 per game. So this is a guy that produces um, Felton comes with a fit and refined questions, but he can be a matchup weapon with flexibility out of the backfield or at receiver. He projects bet. He projects best in the slot and as a return man. So I think that tells you right there, this is a guy that's got to compete in special teams. He's got to come in, make his mark. I don't know if, Jojo Natson's a great comp because they're not really the same player, but he's basically going after a running back version of the Jojo Natson spot, which I think Anthony Schwartz will take. But this is one of those ones you bring him in. He's a little bit of a joystick guy, um, you know, started at UCLX at three years, has played different, you know, roles in terms of slot running back, anything to really put the ball in his hands. And that's really what it kind of comes down to. Um, it says here, Felton will require time to sharpen his awareness and uh, let me try that awareness and skills, but his route construction, break quickness and ball skills were impressive during the senior bowl practices at receiver. But regardless of how he gets the ball, the explosive movements and speed are there for him to threaten opponents in different ways. It's another speed guy, speed and explosiveness. And I think that's what they're going for here. No, and uh, tested as the, I think the fastest guy in the entire senior bowl. Um, so dude can run, um, but no, it's it's one that he's got a great shot to beat out Dearness Johnson. Um, and if he can play in the slot, do lots of pass catching, that, that sounds like a cheaper dude of um, Kareem Hunt. So I'm not saying he's going to replace Kareem Hunt this year, but if if he can do the stuff that they hope he's going to be, that's that's a great shot for him to have a role on this roster. And it's something that, hey, that they've shown they're happy to use that sort of player. I know you said, yeah, more Jojo Natson, but it, it, they announced him as a running back. So you'll see places listed as a wide receiver. The Browns 
publicly announced him as a running back. Um, but he, he can do a bit of everything. And quite frankly, if your third choice running back can do anything other than special teams, even if it's for one, two snaps a game, hell, that, that's a that's an improvement on Dionis Johnson. Yeah, and you're talking about a guy who we talked a little bit about Schwartz going deep. All of a sudden I dropped the ball off to him on a third, maybe 12. And I put the ball in his hand and Hey, maybe he makes somebody list miss. You're talking about a guy that you could flex out into the slot and come back and run a jet sweep. You're talking about a guy you can run a pitch to, to try to get him the ball outside. I don't think he's going to be a traditional eye formation handoff third and one at the goal, uh, you know, that type of running backs. I think you're talking about a completely different role in the running back room. You know, obviously Chubb and Hunter are going to be your power guys, but this is a guy you're right. Um, you know, he's going to come in against the Ernst Johnson, you know, a little bit better version of, you know, I can't remember the guy's name that he, the guy to Tulane running back. Yeah. Dontrell, Dontrell Hilliard, a better version of him. That's kind of what you're looking at there. So that sealed off the Browns draft for the 2021 season. I like it. I really do. I think that they added a lot of elements and I think it's going to make training camp very interesting. There's one guy I want to touch on. So um, he's been the most expensive UDFA for the last three years when they went out and signed him. And he's basically got the money that a fifth round pick gets. So we're not we're not going to touch on this show and all the UDFAs that are out there. There's going to be a complete list. We need Paul Brown for that too. Yeah, it usually takes a bit of time. Um, the Browns signed all their ones last year on the 5th of May. So um, obviously the draft was a week before that last time. So it, it can take a little while, but um, it was Marvin Wilson who they came out and spent a lot of money on. Um, he has had a very bright past. Um, so 2018, PFF's 12th best interior defender. 2019, their fifth best interior defender. And then there was sort of a change of scheme and it fell off an absolute cliff to become their 218th best defender in college last season. It was a real shock that he got that far. So lots of people going into day three had him as sort of one of those early picks on day three. Um, he's 94th on PFF's big board. So there's a lot of like for him. Um, 6'5", 305 pounds. Um, he's an intriguing prospect. And it throws up that question of, hey, I, I'd gone into when the Sheldon Richards... The Malik Jackson signing was made. It was like, well, there must be something going on here because I expect them to have four DTs. Sheldon Richardson obviously leaves. And that's why I was going into the draft thinking, hey, they're going to add one more DT. And when they add two, hey, who knows what's going to happen? I think we've got an interesting four-way battle here between Jordan Elliott, who's one of the favorites there, Port Augustine, um, Weaver, and um, Marvin Wilson. Three of those dudes make the roster. Battle to the death time. Yeah, Marvin Wilson. So a lot of people remember he was actually like projected like first or second round pick a couple of years ago. So he is six foot three, almost six four, three hundred and three pounds. Uh, he will. He's a little bit younger than Demetric Felton. He'll be twenty three at the time of the first game. But so this is a guy who is he, he's basically just a load, right? So he's as Dane calls him a broad shouldered brick house with a strong trunk. So this is a guy that can produce to your point though, his senior year, he changes body types, puts on a little bit more weight. So I think maybe getting him into a regimented NFL training plan might actually help you determine what he really is. Um, overall, Wilson has size and talent, but struggles to play with balance through contact and lacks explosive movements to be a consistent factor in the backfield. He projects as a mid round depth piece with obvious bust potential. And I think that's the point is, you know, you take a flyer and this guy's a UDFA, you throw a little money at him. Hopefully that fires up the, uh, the competition tank and Hey, bring him in here and let him compete. Because again, 
cream needs to rise to the top. And you know, I want to see the best guys out there. That's who I want to see. And if Marvin Wilson goes, I want to show you guys that I, I should have been a day one or day two pick comes in here and balls out props to you, big fella. I'm all for it. Yeah, but no, it's a really interesting overall. It's, it's a great class that there was many of those picks on day three that I'm sat there scratching my head. Um, yeah. And time will tell who knows what their plan is for them. Um, but the fact is, it's loaded rosters. And several of these guys aren't going to make the 53. And that is awesome. That's good thing or bad thing. That's not them drafting bad. That's just, hey, there is so much talent here. And uh, no, I, I'm really excited. This is obviously a one-off show that's slightly longer. We will be getting back to the 15 minutes a day format. So uh, coming back very soon. This is going to be our show for Monday, even though I'm going to put it out straight after we record. But we'll be getting back into the format as normal for Tuesday. Now that we're unsuspended, even though we're not on Spotify right now. We're fixing that. But uh, I've got some interesting stuff up my sleeve in the next couple of months, so we're going to keep coming with loads of different podcasts. But no, as always, thank you so much for listening, guys, and go Browns. Go Browns.